And I wrote down after Kearney, I had shot 62. And that whole day, I never once thought about winning the golf tournament. I never once thought about not handing it over. My whole thing was, I'm going to have a game plan. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to play math and probability. And at the end of the day, whatever the number is, the number is going to be. And if I can commit to doing that and stick to it and do it and execute it, then it's just, you just have to react out there at that point. Today, we are joined by Joe Mushong. Joe is a professional golfer who played college golf in Moorhead State. While at Moorhead State, Joe did not miss a tournament in his five years there, was named all-conference three of those years, and won the 2022 OVC Championship. En route to winning the 2022 OVC Championship, Joe started his final round 6-6-7 before putting on a few birdies and winning. Joe just finished pre-qualifying and is moving on to first stage. Starting from the beginning, Joe, you played at Moorhead State. You just turned professional. You just got through pre-qualifying down in Texas. But how'd you get into the game? Um, I mean, I always had like clubs when I was a kid. And, you know, I did junior clinics and played with my dad. But I never really took it serious until... I think like when I was in eighth grade, freshman year of high school, I played baseball pretty seriously and I just got kind of sick and tired of baseball. So started playing golf and just really liked it. And we had a, you know, we had a good, good group of high school guys to play with. We had a good coach, you know, and uh, that's where I definitely, you know, started picking it up seriously. It was probably my freshman year of high school. And getting into that freshman year of high school, you sick of baseball and you pick up the clubs was there anything in particular where you were playing like you know like I think I can do this I think I can play competitively or was it a slower building process it was pretty quick um just because like even with baseball is always you know hard work same thing carries over with golf but what I couldn't stand about baseball was I played a lot of like middle infield and center field I could have a you know a great game in the field have two hits and the team could lose 10 to two and like necessarily wasn't my fault. You know, like obviously baseball is still a team sport, but it could be because the pitcher got shelled or no one else could get hit or something. But what I really liked about golf, and this was when I was shooting 75 to 85 freshman year high school, even higher, I mean, bust the nineties at the end of the day, you look yourself in the mirror and you're like, okay, I'm the reason I played good today. I'm the reason I played bad today. And like you get to, learn a lot about yourself doing that and you can reflect every day you look in the mirror and you're the reason what happened for the day happened you can't blame anyone else you can't you can but at the end of the day it's it's you yeah that type of ultimate responsibility is something i think that a lot of just people in general struggle with and for golfers i think it might be a little bit easier for us but when you deal with that weight of ultimate responsibility at an age, just even in high school, it carries over to a lot of other things that you do. So when it came to not just golf, but working out, et cetera, did that idea of ultimate responsibility carry itself over for you? And did you find benefits to that? At first, it, I wouldn't say it really carried over because I was 15 years old and just young and I was like ah it's just golf like golf is you just play golf and then as I got more serious about it like probably when I got 16 you know sophomore year high school and I started playing a lot better and took it more seriously I saw how like how holistic your approach has to be and Rory was the first one that always talked about that like and I still think people don't appreciate that about anyone that plays the game of golf like yeah everyone sees the time you spend at the golf course in the country club but not everyone sees the time you spend in the gym or the time you spend with, you know, physios getting worked on, trying to prevent injuries, or the time you're home working on your yourself with your mental game, or the time you're you're doing stats work, like stuff like that. It's just this whole big ball. 
So I'd say around my sophomore year is when like the ultimate responsibility, like, hey, at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, it's it's me, it's me versus me essentially. You know, it's I'm the one that has to do this. I'm the one that's gonna do this. Let's do it. You know, don't blame anyone else. Don't put your don't don't rely on anyone else to make you get better every day. So. But yeah, that's that's when I kind of all carried over was was then I took it I took that to the gym, started taking that to the gym, and then like even school when I got a job when I was in sophomore in, in high school and I took it there and it worked out good and that's I still take it everywhere, you know. What were the first tournaments that you played in? I know we played in a lot of the same junior tournaments growing up, um, and how did those help you for? college golf and beyond i think the first ones i obviously played in were just little high school you know saturday invitational stuff like that and then i started playing like the kentucky junior circuit and the local tournaments and i'd say the biggest thing that helped me there was the exposure to competition because i mean i was when i was you know 15 16 17 playing these tournaments i was so raw in the game i mean i just i'd get beat up every week and but it I, you know, I learned so much from that and it just pushed me to be a better golfer. And that's when it really like kind of lit the competitive fire in me. It was like, you know, I'm not as gifted as these guys. Maybe I haven't been playing as long, but I want to beat them somehow. So that's what kind of pushed um, playing those tournaments. And a lot of the times, you know, I was 15, whatever, 16, 17, playing in like the, the open division, not playing in like an age group. So you're playing with kids that are 18, about to go to college. And every once in a while, you draw them in a pairing, and they just beat your head in. And you're like, "Dang!" But that's what kind of like that's what kind of pushes you to be a better player is when you hang out with them and you play with them. You get to see how they approach. And I mean, to this day, it's still the same way. You know, every once in a while, you play with a guy, and you're like, "Wow, I can learn stuff from this guy." Mm-hmm. And so you get you mentioned that when you turned uh, 16, and as you got older, you kind of made these jumps and starting late in the game like you did you'd expect to make jumps at some point to a degree but at the same time it takes a lot of work to make those jumps and each jump has its own specific set of inputs to help you get there when you made that jump at 16 and started being a little more competitive in tournaments what do you think was different and what helped you make that jump and then each jump you made throughout high school what were those levels and what were the inputs that got you to those levels? I'd say the first jump for me was just the overall approach. Like, hey, we're going to work out four times a week with a strength coach. Because, I mean, I was I was weak. I was tight. My body was not in a spot to play serious competitive golf. And I would have never thought it was like that. So that was important. And then that first jump, I really started um, – I became a really good driver of the ball at a young age. And that's kind of where – that's where I kind of took off and, you know, I was, I was raw with the rest of the game, but I was like, well, I can hit 300 on the middle 16 or whatever. I can find it and go from there. And then, you know, other inputs in my game started catching up, um, started refining my practice a lot more as I got, you know, to my senior year of high school. And then, you know, I made a, a really big jump um, later. I'd say probably after my, third semester at Moorhead thing I learned then was how to play um you know how to have your d game your c game and shoot 74 which I'm still trying to refine that now to be able to shoot 71 72 and still you know show up with your d game and be able to come back the next day and have a logical chance to make a cut yeah I mean there's still jumps I've had I mean since I've been playing now for about nine or ten years eight nine ten years seriously I could probably pencil you in like four or five just kind of two or three month long points where there was just big big jumps so i got a couple questions um from from that first off would you say that growing up playing baseball was a factor in you being a naturally good driver of the golf ball and second of all i'd like to hear about when you started taking swing lessons and how that helped you progress and make one of those big jumps that you were talking about yeah I mean baseball being a good driver of the ball I don't really know if if there is a correlation I think just the natural kind of athleticism that I had was was more important you know I had good hand-eye coordination 
you know, it's baseball swing is a rotational swing, just like a golf swing. So it's kind of the same. You know, you hear people, the old Amers, oh, baseball players shouldn't play golf in the off season. It's going to mess up their swing. I don't really think that's true. I think, a, I think an athlete, no matter what they do, is going to be an athlete. So I think it definitely helped, you know, because I just, like, when you swing a baseball bat, you, you want to swing it hard. When you throw a baseball, you want to throw it fast. So I like picked up the golf club and I was like, well, I want to swing this fast. I don't want to swing it slow. So I'd say that definitely had a, that definitely had a, a point. Um, and then I started taking swing lessons, I think when I was about 15 or 16 and, you know, I had a pretty, pretty raw golf swing and it's taken almost who seven or eight years now, full swing to, to actually like come full circle and be a, a very repetitive and reliable golf swing. But the first thing that was just the most important was tightening up the impact location. I mean, I went from, you know, all over the face and to being able to hit it pretty repetitively somewhat in the center of the face in probably six months. And that just tightened up everything, dispersions, shots, like that was such a big difference maker, you know, when I was probably 16, cause Hey, now I could hit it down the middle and now I could hit the club face from, 150 and I could kind of guess where it was going to go. And to tighten up that dispersion, was that purely technique work or was there more practice as far as like focusing on hitting a certain part of the face or the center of the face or something to that degree? When I was in high school, it was just, I was just banging balls, like just repetitive. It was, I look back and I'm like, that wasn't good. It was rake and hit, but it was rake and hit and hit the center of the face. So it ingrained it into my you know, into my feels. And so that was good. But now I'm more say it's, it's a little bit of swing work. Um, and it's just a lot of it. I just try to keep practice very random, like, Hey, hit up. I think when my swing struggles the most, what I do is I'll just take a six iron and I'll go hit a few hard hooks, go hit a few cuts, go hit a few hundred yard six irons, go hit a few all out six irons and just kind of try to take the, the perfection out of it because it's an imperfect game. But no, when I was first kind of, was first kind of, it was just banging balls, just hitting the center of the face, getting used to it. So it probably wasn't the best, but it's, it's worked out okay. And you mentioned that now you're a little more focused with your practice, but is that something that you learned over time? For example, Lainey, we talked with her, she talked about how she divides her practices into thirds, first third technique, second third, sort of that random practice. And the last third is that pressure focused practice. It sounds like you have something like that in your routine. What was the developing force for that? Oh, when I was in high school, I didn't, I had no idea how to practice. So I don't think anyone did. So we can just skip that. But uh, when I got to college more, hanging out with guys, you saw like, okay, everyone had kind of like a practice plan, a practice routine. Um, I still wasn't the best with it. My freshman year, I thought, okay, a day of practice was go hit balls for two hours, go putt for an hour, go chip for an hour, stuff like that. But then I really started to see how like other guys were doing it. And what you had to do is you had to be so planned out with your time. So now what I kind of do is you know, I wake up in the morning whenever I'm eating breakfast or having a cup of coffee or even the night before sometimes. I'll kind of write out what I want to do the next day. I'll write out, if you know, for say if I have kind of a week off and I really want to work on some technical stuff, I'll, you know, I'm going to spend an hour on the range with all of my alignment sticks down, going to control all of my, you know, grip, alignment, stuff like that, and really work on technical and feels. And then maybe, you know, take it on the golf course and, just kind of change it up, you know, hit shots where if it ends up left to the flag, you got to take it short side and drop it. So now all of a sudden you're working on your, your targeting, you're working on your swing still, and you're throwing in some short game work and a little bit of competitive stuff. But yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, really writing down and appreciating every minute you have at the golf course is kind of what's helped me big time with practice. You talk about practicing on the course and how that um, changes how you approach, um, your, your, your strategy, you know, both from approach shots and off the tee, your senior year of high school, you qualified for two, uh, very big national junior tournaments, the junior PGA championship and the big eye. Um, you went on to make the cut in the 
junior PGA and I believe the big eye got canceled, but those were at two, you know, really good golf courses and it's going to take a different kind of strategy to play those than just your average high school tournament or Kentucky golf association event. Talk about that experience. And if your strategy changed just from playing a big time course like that under, under the heat of competition. So I played the, like you said, I played the junior PGA first, um, made the cut, played well there. That was the first time I'd ever played two practice rounds and four straight rounds of golf. So I got to the last day and was, I was toast out there. I had no chance to, to do anything. But then I went to the, the big eye and I ended up having to withdraw uh, to get home for, that was right before we moved in freshman year. But I mean, strategy wise, what I remember in high school was you you might play the golf course early or you relied on someone to tell you what to do. If it wasn't a golf course, you knew it was probably just hit driver. Hope it was okay. Go find it and hit it again. Um, if you were lucky enough, you saw it before, maybe you hit, hit a few tee shots and whatever. But when I went to those events, you kind of got to see a much more serious approach to those as opposed to what I'd been playing. And I remember kids were coming in with, with yardage books and they had already gone in and they had a plan on every hole as opposed to I'm looking at it off the tee with my range finder and I'm like, ah, well, there's a bunker at 330. I should just hit driver. I'm not going to get there. So that was kind of important. And then I actually played, I played a practice round at the junior PGA with Trent Phillips and Jacob Bridgman way back in the day before they blew up. Trent's killed it on, uh, I think PGA Tour Canada. Bridgman's done really well on web.com. Played behind Akshay in that tournament. And like you saw how their strategies like they were locked in after the practice rounds, nothing changed. So then I kind of was like, well, I got to come up with something better than just being like, oh, there's a bunker at 250. I should probably hit iron, something like that. So I started to dig more into kind of like satellite mapping and really, you know, when you get at the golf course for a practice round off the tee, and this is, I kind of started my freshman year and I'm still refining this process, but Hey, I hit driver here. I, I wrote down an X. I usually write an X in my yardage books, exactly what my target was. And then that way, when I'm kind of prepping for the next round or I'm in the next round, I get to that hole, flip it open. There's an X that says driver. There's no emotional decision in it. It's strictly based on how wide it is, what's there, how the hole's going to play. It removes emotion. It's an easy decision to make. So I definitely had to change that up, and I got to see, you know, firsthand at a couple big tournaments how kids would, or yeah, we were kids at the time, how guys were starting, kids and guys were starting to approach that, and I was like, I was way behind. I was like, all right, well, I gotta, I gotta get good at this now. I gotta learn how to do this. Yeah. So I was like, I remember when you came back from that tournament, it, I, it actually helped me learn secondhand. Um, you were like, dude, this Akshay Bhatia kid, he's raw, and before he he shot like 20 under that week. Yeah. And before he uh, go went out to play, you're like, he takes up an entire practice putting hole. He is like one station. He takes one hole, takes one station with a Vizio, then one with a chalk line and then one with a, a gate mirror. or something. Yeah, a mirror. Yeah. It was just really eye opening to be like, you know, this is what the best kid in the nation is doing. And it was funny because I actually, when I was catting for Ashton earlier this year, we were on the putting green with him and he was doing the exact same thing. So it was just cool to see that he's been doing that for six years. What what I thought putting practice was at that time or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Cause let me tell you, I didn't spend much time on that putting green when I was in high school and probably not until about 18 months ago is when I really started to lock in my putting practice. And it's been big. We can get there later. But what he would do is he had a start line station this was 2017, I guess. So now it's, he's been doing this for six years, I assume. He had his chalk line for his start line. He had a Vizio for path. And I think he had a mirror for eye line. He would not ever hit more than three putts at a time on the same thing. He'd go in a circle. So he wasn't biasing his stroke or anything. Then he had a speed drill set up right next to it. And then he had like an eight foot tee where he would just kind of work on his routine. And I was like kind of looking at this as I'm dropping three balls down and just randomly hitting putts. I'm like, hmm. Do you remember what the speed drill was? 
I want to say he was doing like a leapfrog. There was like four T's, you know, something simple. I think leapfrog was kind of, that was really with the speed drill that everyone kind of knew back then, I guess, before all the, there's all, I mean, there's all kinds you can do. So you mentioned that you played with Akshay. You learned a lot going into, or sorry, you saw Akshay and you learned a lot going into school that year. Tell us a little bit more about going to school. You ended up playing golf at Moorhead State, but it's not just a, oh, I started playing golf at 15 and ended up playing at a D1 college. It's never as simple as that. It takes, as we've talked about, levels, progressions, et cetera. Did you know that you wanted to go play there? What led you to want to go play there? And then once you got there, what was the skill level like that you needed compared to what you thought you would need when you were in high school? Yeah, so, you know, I got recruited by a few schools, nothing crazy. I wasn't really, I mean, I wasn't 100% set on college golf, especially I went to the state tournament my senior year. I shot like 74. I had a bunch of coaches watching me, and Larry was there, and he'll tell you it's literally like the best round of golf you've ever seen someone strike the ball, and then you just got on the greens, and it was just like, who is this Stevie Wonder? This kid can't putt. Like, I think I literally hit 17 greens that day and shot like three over. So I shot like 87 the next day, and that was a lot of self-doubt. And, you know, I was pretty close to – I didn't have anything really promised at Moorhead besides the spot on the team. And I was kind of weighing the, hey, do I want to go here and pay to go to school and pay to play golf or do I want to go to UK and just be a student? And uh, just by luck of the draw, you know, some guys shuffled off the team unexpectedly and coach called me up one day and was like, hey, I got a little bit more scholarship percentage for you. And, you know, you, you have the opportunity now at this point to come and play for more scholarship money. So I kind of locked in and I set up with that and I ended up going there and, um, immediately got there and was like, you can't do what you did in high school. You have no chance because there's guys like Cooper on the team. There's guys like Nick on the team who've been doing this now for a couple of years. And they're going to, if you don't change what your plan is, what your process is, good luck. Cause this isn't high school golf. So I learned that pretty quick and I really changed my approach. And, um, I was lucky and also, really probably blessed in the fact too that I, I got to play immediately through qualifying and I, I never missed a tournament there and I think that was one of the biggest things for me was my freshman year I got so many competitive reps and got to see so much stuff on the road and just really soak it in but the, you know I, I learned quick when I got there it's like hey this isn't this isn't high school golf practice where you play nine holes hit some balls and putt you know there's got to be purpose if there's not purpose, you're just going to be out there wasting time. Yeah, I remember the first round of qualifying your freshman year. You came in straight from the big eye, and you shot 66 at Eagle Trace. And everybody else was like, who is this kid? Why is he beating us? And I wasn't surprised. But, um, I mean, you pretty much – you never really missed the tournament due to um, performance. Yeah, my, my five years, I, um, I sat one tournament out for rest um, conference of 2020. Like I sat out the week before to kind of rest up because we played like 13 events in two and a half months. But yeah, it's funny. Cooper remembers the first round of, uh, of qualifying my freshman year. The day before I got to the golf course and hit like three balls and just felt awful. It was tight. I just looked at Cooper and I was like, body's not feeling any practice today, man. See you later. And I went home and like took a nap, I think. And, came the next day and I played good and you know I was like I said I was lucky and blessed and I played really good on the tournaments I went on early and kind of locked my spot in I think I had a I went to Elon I think that that uh that fall maybe my third or fourth tournament and finished like top 10 and that was kind of from there you know I never really had to I had to go back to qualifying every once in a while but it was never like I was I was always in control of my own destiny that makes sense. I never had to rely on other people to do other things. Yeah, you had a really good um, tournament there the first semester you played it at Elon. I believe you shot 66 um, the second round, the afternoon of the 36, and then you were in the final group Yeah, uh, that, last, that last day. And then you played with a guy who had a really, really low round that day. Did you learn? Tell us about how you learned from that situation and watching him 
close that tournament out? I shot, I think, 71-66 on the 36-hole day. Two really good rounds, right? I think that was like six under or five under or something. I don't I think it's part. Was it part 72 there, Cooper, or 71? It was a 71. So we go into the last day, and his, I still remember that kid playing this round of the day, and I should bring it up. His name's Dylan McQueen. Um, he played it either Florida Gulf Coast or Western Carolina. I can't remember. But he turned. Yeah, he turned pro since he's I think he's still playing a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure where or what, but I went in and I was like in the final group, I was like one back of the lead in my, like my third college tournament. And I'd been trailing. I you know, I'd won as a junior. It was I mean, I was ready to puke hitting balls because it was such a different feel. Cause like I don't know, I can't remember how our team was playing, but I was like, this is weird. I'm, I wasn't playing any good at all. <laughs> This is weird. I'm the youngest guy on the I'm the youngest guy on the team and I'm the closest to the lead. So he shoots like sixty one that day, I think, or sixty two, something crazy. Like Yeah, I think it was sixty two. Just I think he three putted our last hole too. He just goes nuts. Mm-hmm. And the thing I remember the most that day, because we had a really good relationship with Western Carolina's coach too, so he ended up walking a lot with Dylan that day. But the thing I remember the most was they didn't try to ever like push the push the envelope. They never tried to like force a shot. They never tried to like do something. He just relied on his variance and now this comes full circle a couple years later with what we know about statistics and stuff, but he was just relying on his variance and that day, you know, he he played good. He probably he played really good. He was going to, you know, it's one of those days where he's going to shoot 65 at the worst and he gets a little bit lucky here and there and all of a sudden it's 62. And I was like Hmm. I think I could learn something from this and, you know, not forcing it. And I don't think at one point he never looked like he was trying to win the golf tournament. He was just playing golf that day. And that's something that it seems like you took with you over your time at Moorhead State as far as you, you oftentimes people get better through college, but you'll see significant jumps year to year as far as not just scoring average, but as far as placing in tournaments, all that kind of stuff. Because scoring average can be somewhat dependent on what you're playing in. And if your team starts taking on a tougher schedule, it can be a little higher. But you look at that freshman year, you had a stroke average of 74.88. And then the next year, you had a stroke average of 73.91. And then as a junior, 71.83 with multiple, you know, sub-70 rounds, more top 15 finishes, all that kind of stuff what was the takeaway from you with you now looking back those jumps year to year not just the learning how to play within yourself what what was what do you look back on and say oh hey here's what helped me make that jump is there anything in particular that you attribute that to or is it a variety of things i'd say there was a few things between the the spring of my sophomore year and then my junior year um my overall process and approach got really sharp. Like I was really locked in with everything I was doing, gym work, eating most of the time. I like to eat some junk food every once in a while. Practice what I was doing, started journaling a lot. I mentioned it earlier, but the f- spring of my sophomore year, I remember playing Tennessee Tech's tournament and I shot like 73, 72, 71. And I had the glorified shanks that week. I got done and I had finished like 12th and I kind of got in the van and I was like, man, I was like, that's what can make the difference is like, if you can hang tough when it's just not your day, it's ugly. It doesn't matter what it looks like when you can hang tough. That's what matters. So I I took that into the next year. Um, Like I said, my process just got sharp, what I was doing, what I was working on. Um, And then that next spring I started to earn no. Sorry, the next fall. So the fall of my junior year, I started to knife myself into into the mix, you know, with nine holes to go. It felt like, I think, almost every time in the fall. And that's, I just started to get that experience. And I mean, that was so big because then I got to feel like what it felt like with nine holes to go with a chance to win. And obviously it took me a while to finally close one out, but you started learning that. And but I'd say, you know, learning how to play with without my stuff and being like, who cares what it looks like? Just get it in the hole. You know, if you got a freaking hit seven iron, six iron chip shot, 
you make a six footer for par, you got to do it sometimes, especially in college golf. Cause I mean, Cooper knows, Daniel knows you go in the spring some places and it's like 43 degrees blowing 20 and it's wet. And you're like, okay, ain't nothing going to be pretty today, boys. Let's just get it in the hole. So I kind of started to take that approach and I remember, and I still carry this over and I think it worked. It works for me in my mind. I remember watching the movie Moneyball and their whole, their whole basis for their system was, okay, we're, we're going to get, we want guys who get on base. That's step one. Step two was we're not going to do anything fancy. We're just going to move the runners over. Next man up does his job. Step three is we're going to put the ball in play again and take our scoring chances. So I was sitting in the room and they kind of like jogged that over and I was like, wait, okay, how can I approach this to golf? And I was like, okay, step one is off the tee, get the ball in play, right? Same thing as money ball. You go to step two and you're like, okay, don't do anything pretty. We're not going to get caught stealing second base. We're not going to hit hook eight irons to back left pins. We're going to get the ball on the green. We're going to move the guy over. So I was like, okay, well, this is really weird because now I'm on step three, which is maximize your scoring opportunities by take like just you know taking your chances when you get them. That's just making putts from the six to sixteen foot range, basically. You know, move the guy over, get him in, get the ball back in play. And I was like, wow. I was like, I can approach this now. And I was like, I now can check off. I can just check boxes as I play golf. I'm like, okay, check one. I got it in play off the tee. Check two. I hit hit the green. Check three. All now all of a sudden I've got a fifteen footer for birdie, and I wasn't I wasn't even trying to hit it close. It was just it just happened. And then, you know, maybe you make it and, you know, you get the run, you get the you get the guy in or you miss it. And no big deal, but you had a runner in, runner in scoring position. You had a scoring opportunity. And that's what essentially, uh, that's what I've found high-level competitive golf to be is everyone hits the ball good. It's about who has the most opportunities in that 6 to 16 foot range because that's where you can convert. That's where you can, that's where you can make up strokes statistically. That makes sense. And one of the things you said I find interesting. I want to touch a little more on. You said you started keeping a journal. Can you tell us more about the journal that you keep, what you put in there, and how you use it week to week, month to month, etc.? So mine may be a little more unconventional that, than what other people do. I don't write a lot of, like, I don't write like, you know, hey, I felt the club face was a lot more open today or something like that or I usually will write down like if I was, you know, what I scored on my putting drills, kind of what, how, just how I felt for the day. And then at the end of the night, I'll just kind of like write just kind of how I felt for the day. So I can go back and look at that stuff when I'm getting ready for tournaments or like, you know, I was going into the last round and pre-qualifying, I was comfortably inside the number and I really wanted to avoid going out and like steering it, you know, and like trying to not eject basically. So I kind of look back through my, and I keep it on my computer because I'm too lazy to write. My handwriting's awful, I have to type. But I was just kind of looking through and, you know, it's funny. I could go back to two or three months ago and I found one from the city tournament and I wrote down after Kearney, I had shot 62 and that whole day, I never once thought about winning the golf tournament. I never once thought about not handing it over. My whole thing was I'm going to have a game plan. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to play math and probability. And at the end of the day, whatever the number is, the number is going to be. And if I can commit to doing that and stick to it and do it and execute it, then it's just, you just have to react out there at that point. So that's kind of what I do. Um, I'll just write random stuff too. All right. I usually write like a song lyric down every day that I just remember that, I don't know, just random stuff, but it's just something to go back and read when maybe you're on the road and you're struggling a little bit. And you're, you know, you're out there searching for answers and you're like, yeah, I'll just go read. And, oh, here I was listening to Eric Church or here I was focused on my grip behind the ball or here I was focused on my breathing on the golf course, just stuff like that. That's always super fun when it comes together like that when you shot 62 at Kearney. I would like to hear a little more about that round in particular, but something else I want to talk about is we, me and you always room together in college golf tournaments. Um, I noticed we had our own processes, but I noticed that you were really big into your sleep. You would do certain things to ensure that you got good sleep on the road. And 
I'd like you to talk some more about that process. I read a, read a book, I want to say like sophomore year of college, it's called Why We Sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker. It's a heck of a book. I don't care if you like to read or not. It's just some cool stuff in there. Um, so I read it and you know, I just thought, oh, if you go to bed before go to bed before 11, get up before eight, you're good, right? That's eight hours of sleep. But you start to learn like kind of what does. And I was like, you read in that book, how many athletes, like serious big time athletes, like your Tom Brady's, your Peyton Manning's, I'll talk about how important their rest and recovery is. So I was like, well, this is something else I can pick up on. It's not very hard to do. And it's going to help me because a lot of people will tell you that sleep's like the number one performance enhancing drug for athletes. And it's totally legal. So I started to pick up a lot of stuff. The first thing was like cutting out, ca- I try to not have caffeine past 12 o'clock. I take a few sleep supplements. I've, I, I don't really take melatonin anymore. I started taking what's called L-tryptophan uh, a little more recently, which is what's found in Turkey naturally. And it's been like, I've been taking it for about a month now. And it's, uh, it's really good. It's, it calms you down at night, puts you to bed, but I do some stretching before bed, last minute cold shower, but I started to notice when I would really get good sleep, I just, I'd wake up the next morning and stuff wouldn't be sore and I got on a consistent sleep schedule, you know, it's, and it's a little bit tougher on the road with college golf because you're getting in some nights at 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock and you might have to get up the next morning at 5, but if you can be at home while you're prepping and, you know, while I was getting ready for pre-cue, like I was pretty much in bed every night before 10 o'clock and I was pretty much up between 7 and 7.30 every day. Because, man, when you can when you can put your body down and knock it out at, at night and it actually recovers properly, it's pretty, like, empowering to, to see what how good it is for you. I, I, yeah, I just saw a video with uh, Matt Frazier on Instagram or something where he was saying – he said that exact same thing. And Matt Frazier's the CrossFit – he's won, like, six World CrossFit champions, championships. And he said sleep is the number one – performance enhancing drug and it's completely legal but you mentioned pre-q in that last answer you just recently turned pro just right after you you shot the 62 at kearney talk about how the transition from amateur to pro golf has been has it been what you have thought it would be Um, it's been pretty good i mean i've played i think four professional events now um Played a Pro-Am in Louisville, played a G-Pro event in South Carolina and Kentucky Open and now Pre-Q. It's been, it's pretty much been what I expected. The, the thing you notice the most, and Cooper knows, when you show up to a pro event, a mini-tour event, a Pre-Q, there's not a bad player normally. Everyone can play. Everyone trusts in their game. It's just, you know, it's mono and mono. It's not, hey, this is a D2 golf team showing up to a D1 golf team and their five man plays golf because he's in med school and he's a genius. It's not that you don't get that. So I kind of noticed that. And the other thing is you got to be like, you got to just be dialed in with everything you're doing once again, because if you're wasting time out there, it's, it's just going to result in poor performance. And I went to Greenville, North Carolina about two or three weeks ago and I didn't play good. Um, I got a little bit exposed, different kind of playing conditions and, I got back and I kind of reflected on that tournament and I realized I was like, my prep at the venue was just poor. I didn't, it was not what it needed to be and it resulted in poor performance. So my whole thing going into pre-queue now that I kind of learned from playing twice, because even at the Kentucky Open, it wasn't great, great prep either. Um, I was like, well, I want my, I want my prep at pre-queue to be perfect. Like if I can, like I want to, that's what I want to be perfect at. And then that way, when it comes time for competition, it's hands off. It's just reacting. So I wrote out a really strict week and a half. I think I was home for about 10 or 11 days to prep for pre-Q. I wrote out a really strict week and a half plan with what I was doing. I mean, even down to waking up at 7.30 and making sure to have breakfast at 7.45, stuff like that. And then on the way down there, I had kind of a nightmare travel. When I got to the golf course on Monday, we had access to start prep. I had a list of what to do that day. I had, and I I literally was checking boxes off as I went. So I did that Monday and Tuesday and I was laying in bed Tuesday night and I was like, man, I was like, that felt really good because I've checked all my boxes. I've taken care of everything. Now I can go out tomorrow. 
I just got to warm up, go play golf. I don't have to worry about, did I do speed drills? I don't have to worry about, did I work on my green reading? I don't have to worry about that I scout the golf course properly. So I think that's been one of the biggest changes is like, you can't like fake it with your prep in pro golf. Because if you fake it, you're going to miss a cut probably and you're out your money, which you don't want to be that. Like, you don't want that to happen. So that and the fact that everyone's good, you know, it's it's very rare that at a lot of these tournaments right now, someone can just win based on raw talent. It feels like everyone has a chance to win. And you got to accept that you're one of those people too. You know, you got to, you can't show up and be like, oh, this kid played power five golf and was an all American. And now he's pro and he's way better than me. No, you're both pro golfers. You're both at pre-Q. You're both there because you weren't exempt to first stage. So he's not necessarily better than you. Just who cares? Do your thing, do your prep, then go compete and have fun. That's the other things. I've had so much fun with the game ever since Missouri's intercollegiate in the spring. I, it's, that was just such a turning point for me in the game. That's probably been the biggest turning point in the last three years was that tournament. Talk about that experience and why that was such a big turning point for you. For four years now, we played Missouri's Intercollegiate in the spring. Um, it's one. It's probably our biggest strength of field tournament, and it was one you always wanted to play good. Fun golf course. Um, they do a great job with it. So that's kind of our – that was our biggest spring event, biggest event. You always wanted to play well there. And I'd had good success at that golf course. Um, I think I had a top 15 and a tied for third. So I went back my senior year. It was two weeks before conference. My game was just in such a good spot. I was playing great. I was dialed in with everything. I go there and through through 27 holes, I was like 12 under or something. Not, I, either 9, 10, 11 under. I was lead. I think I was tied for the lead at the time. You know, I had like a pretty gettable nine hole stretch to finish the day. And I think I played my next 27 holes like 15 over or something. That next nine holes, I know I played like 11 over. Like it was, I got my world rocked for two and a half straight hours in my golf course. And I had put so much pressure on myself looking back. Not, you know, I learned this after that golf tournament. I had put so much pressure on myself winning a college golf tournament. And for four years or five years or whatever, and it finally just, it was this big ball of emotion and stress and anxiety and hard work and tears. And it blew up that day. Like, it's been very rare that I've been on a golf course and wanted to just walk off. That day, I had to walk. I think we had to play 10 and 11. I just wanted to quit. Like, I was, I had nothing. I had no physical energy, no mental energy, no emotional energy. I was just, I was done. And I remember getting back in the team van. I sat in the back. I broke, like, I cried. It was that. It was just one of those things. We got home from that turn. I went and played the next day. I shot, like, 75. Had no chance of shooting a good number that day because I was toast. I just wanted to get home and decompress and learn. And I was like, that was one of the biggest things for me because it was a ticking time bomb that was going to go off eventually. And I'm glad it went off then because it could have gone off at pre-qualifying. It could have gone off at first stage. It could have gone off sometime now. So it went off and what I learned was there has to be an emotional detachment from wanting success so bad. You just, you have to let it happen. And I learned that that happened. And then the next tournament I played, I won. And I was like, huh. This is funny how this works. You just kind of walk into it. That's exactly where I was going to go next is the OVC championship is y'all's next tournament after that one. You have that rough, rough experience. And I believe you kind of came into a similar type of situation, that third round of the OVC championship. But you battled back and you were able to win that one. Talk about your mindset and if it was different, how it was different than Missouri. So back to Missouri, I remember uh, I was writing down in my journal when I got home from that trip, um, a quote, success is where preparation meets opportunity. So I decompressed from that trip. I had a great, just another great two weeks of prep. Um, I completely forgot about Missouri. I talked it through with a lot of people, just got that, I got that, it literally felt like I had weight lifted off my shoulders, like I felt free. So we go to conference. Um, I go like 73, 68. I think I had a two, a one or two stroke lead heading into the last day. And I started out six, the double bogey on the first, the bogey on a par five second hole. And then I think I tripled the, I tripled the third hole. I was walking to the fourth and our assistant coach, Nick Wilkins was walking with me. Now he's, he, 
was caught up to me and I guess coach had sent him to make sure I was okay or I don't know and I just remembered looking at Nick and I was like you know I made seven on three he was like no why I was like I didn't want to start six 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 and I just kind of laughed and I was like dude I'm fine I was like I just I was like I just got gut punched I was like it happens I was like I hit three really bad golf shots that was the result of it so we uh we get to like I think five and I, I was fine like this was pulling now from Missouri I was like cool it, it happens you can't I can't go back and replay the first hole if, if people could do that it would not be a fun game to play so I just kind of like locked in I was like eight seven or eight back of the lead at the time now and my whole focus now was our team was on the bubble and making match play and I knew probably that there was a good chance if I could kind of fight my round back and steady out that my round could count and the difference of shooting you know playing the next 15 holes at two over or two under could be us playing tomorrow or not. So I think I played the rest of that nine and even, and then I played a really, a really strong last nine holes. I think I birdied like two of the last four. I had no, I had no idea. The only thing I was asking Nick on the back nine, the last like four holes probably as I wanted to know where the team score was. And we were kind of a little, we were playing a little bit of leaderboard watching with the team score with how we were kind of approaching the golf course. Cause the last four at that golf course, you can kind of, you can skew your strategy a little bit. And we were kind of inside the numbers. I was just, we were playing really conservative, just kind of, you know, just get it in the house. Like I said, I had no idea where the individual lead was. And I birdied 18 to end up shooting, I think 76 that day. And I got on my phone walking back to the putting green. Cause I knew the team was in at that time. I was like, cool, let's go. That's all I, that's all I cared about. And I got on my phone and I looked, and all of a sudden, I was like, I was only one back. And this kid had to play a tough stretch of six holes that I had just played in, like, two under. So I'm just kind of sitting there. I was like, well, I guess I'll stay loose now. So I was hitting balls, and I turned my phone off. I was like, somebody will tell me. And then Nick and them rode out to 18, and he had, like, a 60-footer for eagle that he had to make to tie me at that point now. He had made a few bogeys. And I was like, hmm. Like, I just won a tournament and was – six over through three in the last round it's like you know and it's it was funny but the biggest thing i learned there was you can't force winning it's just gonna happen you're gonna you're gonna get lucky there was plenty of luck involved in that one and it, it's just gonna happen you can't force it you can't control it and that day was that's that's what happened i got i just walked into it had no idea but i quit focusing on winning the golf tournament i focused on one hole at a time how am I going to get my ball in the hole the quickest without doing something going on tilt emotionally because of what's already happened today? And that was, and that it took me, I mean, it's taken me eight years to figure that out, but that's, that's what I did that day. And that was a really cool experience. And it probably, probably wouldn't have gone that way if Missouri wouldn't have happened. So that was a really cool month. Yeah. I was just going to say that is an amazing story and in in an amazing stretch of three weeks of golf and it's just really cool how golf can reward you over time and our my coach Larry Ward at the time told me if when I was in college he said I was like Larry when am I gonna I want to win a college tournament because I'd had these top finishes or whatever and he's like son you'll win a college tournament when you least expect, expect it. it. And I was yeah. like, what are you talking about, Larry? And and so I'll tell you the story. We were playing in Middle Tennessee State had a tournament. Yeah. It was the last tournament of the fall. It was snowing. <laughs> we 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 hit balls on frost that morning. Yeah, we, we literally hit balls. on. The, we had to clear the snow off of the mats. And I'm playing – it's a one day 36 tournament and I'm playing. <laughs> and so it's shotgun. Everybody's finishing at the same time. I have no idea what everybody's doing. I make like a 30 footer on the last hole when it's getting dark for birdie. <laughs> and my coach is like that just, you know, you just won. And by one, I was like, Larry was right. <laughs> One when I least expected. <laughs> and I, I guess that's kind of similar to your experience. 
you hear people, I mean, the, the kind of no more, like, you hear a lot, okay, if you're going to win at the junior level, you're going to win at the college level, you're going to win at the amateur level, then you can win at the pro level. So I was, like, so aficionated with winning at the college level, I just couldn't get one. And, I mean, I was in contention so freaking much my last three years. Like, and that part was all hard work and preparation to just have that chance. But I could never – I just could never get one. And he said the same thing to me. He's like, it was happening when you least expect it. I'm telling you, the last thing I was expecting when I started out 667 and looked at Nick and said, yeah, I just didn't want to start 666 was to win that golf tournament that day. And that was the, that was probably the best 15 holes of golf I've ever played just because given this, given the scenario. That's that's a cool story, as you guys have both said. I wanted to jump back to something you said earlier. We didn't get a chance to circle on it. And that was going into your pre-queue. You made it through pre-queue, and you said you had a list. And that this kind of brings me back to a question we asked Jacob Cook. And we asked Jacob, like, have you ever felt 100% prepared for a tournament? And Jacob said, yeah, I felt 100% prepared for a tournament. And Cooper afterwards said to me, he's like, I don't know what he's talking about. I've never felt 100% prepared for a tournament. I've always felt terrible. And it sounds like maybe this list for you has helped codify what you need for a tournament. Can you tell us like what you had on that list and how that gave you that at least sense of surety that you had checked the boxes and done what you needed to do to be prepared for that day? Those days. This one was, we had access to the golf course starting Monday. So we had Monday, Tuesday practice, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I took it pretty easy Sunday, knowing that I had two days to prep. I, I was nine holes every day just to kind of stay fresh. No need to play 18, 18, who cares? So Monday, my whole goal was really check off my technical boxes, like do my stroke work, um, get my green reading dialed in, get my aim point dialed in, get my swing dialed in, take a few take a few swing videos, play nine holes. And then I think after that, after I played nine, I went and uh, I did two or three speed drills, two or three drills, holding putts, went and went through my kind of post-round ball striking routine after, got out of there, came back the next day. And that was more kind of, that was more reactive stuff. Like, you know, I obviously every day kind of hit a few start line putts. But then after that, it was like holding putts. It was uphill, downhill, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 footers, uphill grain, uphill into the grain, downhill, down grain, um, go hit a few balls, um, play nine more holes, then come back and just kind of decompress, uh, check those boxes off. And, you know, most of those boxes, it's, it's pretty easy. It's mostly putting and short game stuff. The swing I've always felt like the last probably 18 months, if I'm searching for my golf swing on the range 24 hours for a tournament, that's not good. It's not going to, I'm going to be out there spinning my wheels. I just need to be like, Hey, I'm going to hit. So kind of what I do now, probably pretty much every, after every round is I'll just work back through my bag, probably 30 balls. I'll hit a couple 60 degree pitches, a couple 56 wedges, a couple pitching wedges, a draw, a cut, a stock shot, a couple eight irons, same thing, a couple six irons, a three wood and a driver. And I just want to see the ball get my alignment. Cool. I'm out of there. Um, no swing work. The majority of your swing work has got to be done at home because if you're on the range 24 hours before, it's the last thing you're going to be thinking about. But yeah, those boxes, it's just a lot of, it's, it's for me, it's a lot of putting stuff. Um, I like to feel really freaking comfortable on the greens and I kind of jacked my warm up up on Wednesday before the first round I kind of rushed my warm up and didn't have time to go back to the putting green before I went to the course to roll a few more putts. So I usually putt then chip then hit balls, go back to the putting green, then go play. I didn't go putt that day. And my speed control was just God awful that day. And I got done and I was kind of thinking about it. And I went back through my day and I was like, Hey, I, that's what happened. I got to make sure I do this tomorrow. So I factored in 10 more minutes in my warm up, got back to my normal warm up. And my speed control was great the next day because I was back on my routine. But yeah, the, the, I have that pretty strict set of boxes. And I know if I check those off, I'm not going to be worried about stuff on the golf course. It's just going to be stick to the game plan, execute the plan, and react accordingly. So that's what's been really big for me. 
that's a good tool to have with you, especially as you go on uh, to first stage and not just first stage, but every tournament you're going to play after this. One thing that we do is our final question of every podcast. And that is, we ask our guests, looking back now, you know a lot of these things. You have this list that you use for tournament prep. You have all this experience of taking responsibility. Looking back, if you could tell yourself one thing as a junior golfer, what would it be? One single thing. Um, value. I'd say value every minute you have that you can prepare. Don't waste time. Don't sit on the putting green in between putts refresh Twitter. Don't like just use every minute you get like, cause I think that would have, that would have probably made the biggest difference for me as a junior golfer was not going through the motions and joking around and goofing off, like goof off at home. That's what I do now. I goof off at home when I'm at the golf course, it's work. Like those minutes are so valuable and that's how you can really just really keep leveling up. Is like, if you take every minute and you're like, wake up, and you're like, okay, my single, my every day, my goal is to just win the day. If I take every minute that I can prepare at the golf course or in the gym or on my computer working on mental stuff, if I value every minute, I'm gonna win the day. And then I lay down in bed at the end of the day, and I'm like, well, yeah, maybe I played nine holes and shot 39, but I won the day, so today was a success. Because I've always felt every day you either get better or you get worse. You don't. The whole, you don't stay the same, actually. It's not same old, same old. It's you get better, you get worse. You want to get better every day because every day you get better, you're, you're beating other people and you don't even know it. So I'd say, yeah, if I was looking back, I wish I could tell myself to just value every minute I had. And the beauty of valuing every minute, like you said right there, is that by valuing every minute, it means you don't have to spend a ton of minutes out there like you used to think as a junior. I can tell you that I'm not... I play golf now at a much different level than I used to, and I don't get out as much, but I also don't feel like I have to do as much now because just like in my job, when I go to my job, like it's my job, I do my work and I'm done. And when I'm done with my job, sweet, I go to the golf course, I do my practice and I'm focused about how I do it. And it's the same thing I imagine for you is what you're saying right there is like, you don't have to have these eight hour days out there. You can have a sol- you can spend three hours and oftentimes get done in a day what a junior could get done in eight hours. And that's just the truth of it. I mean, even when I was in college, my freshman and sophomore year, I'd have these marathon days where I'd get to the golf course at eleven thirty and stay till like dark. Like that's what I thought a day of hard work was. I was just wasting time out there in between. Then I started like especially the last probably eighteen months or so, where I've started to write down what I'm gonna do every day. I mean, I can have a really good purposeful practice, purpose, purposeful practice in about three and a half or four hours. So then I can go spend an, an extra hour in the gym. I can go spend an extra hour getting worked on, making sure my body's healthy. I can spend an extra hour sleeping, stuff like that. And then all of a sudden now you've got this just bulletproof game plan and process. And it just takes you, I mean, it takes you everywhere. And that ties into something you said earlier too, which is you said that when you're out there practicing, like people, you were talking about how you can, people measure things in hours as far as like how, how long you're out on the course, et cetera. And it can be really easy to get sucked into, oh, so-and-so is out here for seven hours and they miss, like you were saying, like strategy work is practicing, uh, physio work is practicing, working out is practicing, all these things are practicing. So if we only measure how we are doing and the effort we're putting in by the a amount of time we're putting in out there and b the amount of time we're putting in specifically at the golf course then you really lose sight of it which is the point is to get better and that's something that it sounds like you've been you've been able to whittle down and really get rid of the comparison and oftentimes I said comparison is the thief of joy and in this case comparison can be the thief of getting better because you're going to spend if you're focused on comparing how long you're out there practicing compared to everyone else you're going to really limit yourself as far as how you can progress and getting your body what it needs when it needs it even just to finish on that like you tell people now like they're like what do you do i'm like i play golf for a living. It's my job. And they're like, Oh, it must be nice. And you're like, 
oh yeah, come hang out for a week and see if you want to do it. Like, so I mean, like when I was getting ready for, like I said, for pre-Q, I was up every day by 7 a.m. I was breakfast, get to the gym at the golf course, go through a quick workout or a quick warm up, putting green, check my boxes, go on the golf course or something, check my boxes, go hit balls, check my boxes, whatever. Now all of a sudden it's 2.30, I've checked my boxes and I can leave, but I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I need to go back to the gym and work on some hip mobility. So I just check the boxes. Oh, well, tonight I have planned out to, to map the golf course and go through my strategy. So now all of a sudden you've put in nine, 10 hours, but you were only at the golf course for five of them. People are like, yeah, it must be nice. I'm like, no, come hang out for a week. It's, it's not what you think it is. That's the truth. Well, wrapping up, where can people find you on social media if they want to get in touch with you, ask you any questions, anything of that nature? I'm definitely, I'm on Instagram a lot, uh, jmushong3. And I'm on Twitter to kind of, Twitter I like to goof off on. Twitter I'm not as serious. Um, I think it's Joe, at Joe underscore Mushong. Thanks for joining us today. Please do us a big favor and like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so we can help others learn how to play better tournament golf. You can find us online at thetournamentcode.com, on Instagram at thetournamentcode, and on Twitter at tournamentcode. As always, feel free to reach out to us at those places or email us at daniel at thetournamentcode.com and cooper at thetournamentcode.com. We hope you join us as we continue to dive deeper into what it takes to play elite tournament golf. Thank you.